Alright everyone, hello and welcome to this special episode of the Ruthless ST Radio Podcast. As always, I am your host, the Ruthless ST himself, Nick Bernal. Joined with me today, this this is big, this is big. Uh, joined with me today is Nathan, Mike, Luke, and Rashinda. hey I got it, of the uh, Bearcat Motorsports Racing Team, otherwise known as the... Uh, Formula SAE team, Formula SAE team of uh, the University of Cincinnati. So, guys, how you doing this week? Doing good. I don't know how many of you guys are like me, and you're gonna gear up and go to Daytona this weekend. Um, I don't think any of us are going to Daytona, but uh, I know that I usually stay up all night to watch the race. Um. I mean, I, I usually don't with Le Mans, but for, for Daytona, I'll usually try to stay up uh, as long as possible. Uh, oh, the yes. longest I've made it is 15 hours. Uh, I usually end up passing out at some point in the middle of the night, but, uh, you know, I've, I've got uh, the live timing pulled up on my laptop, all that stuff. Uh, I love that race. So I'm hoping that because I'm actually going to be there, uh, I will be able to be hashtag team no sleep. I'm hoping. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, I've so, always wanted to go, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous, man. That sounds like it's, it's going to be a really good time. Yeah, unfortunately for me, it's going to be cold. Like, like almost as cold as here cold during the evening. Um, so I'm, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping to die that it doesn't rain like it always does during the 24, at night specifically. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, that kind of leads me into this quick point. Be on the lookout this week. Um, I'm going to maybe give daily reports. I know I'll at least give a report on Friday uh, for the Michelin Pilot Challenge race. Uh, and I will also be doing at least one, if not two or three, reports during the race. And you'll find those here on wherever you can get your podcast. And I'm also going to do, hopefully, a video version, uh, and that will end up on YouTube at RuthlessSTTV. So make sure you guys subscribe to all of that. Also, I am going to be, um, I, I, I will have my trusty, dusty phone gimbal, uh, and there will also be some YouTube videos, some pure sound stuff as well, so be on the lookout for all of that. However, that's not why we're here this week. We're here because um, FSAE, at least to me, has always kind of intrigued me as a, as a car guy, right? So who better to go to than an FSAE team? So guys, I guess to start out, what is Formula SAE? Well, um, uh, yes, yeah, so, <clears throat> Formula SAE is a student organization within SAE. Um, for our particular competition, we build a open wheel race car. Um, you could almost say it's like a scale model of an Indy car. Um, and we are indeed the entire car, research and design the entire car, um, all in-house for the majority. Um, there are certain things we have to outsource because we are just a college, but, uh, for the most part, the engineering is done here, and then the, the assembly, the design uh, of the entire car done here. And then we test it out and uh, race it at the end of the year. Well, and uh, SA stands for Society of Automotive Engineers. Nice. So, well, I know because, like, um, and I actually didn't know 
uh, UC had a FSAE team until, oh God, was it last year or the year before? I was at Traders World and they were doing a um, a Drive Auto X event, and I know yeah. that, and I know that, um, I know that local FSAE teams because I've been to the one at Grissom as well. Uh, I know that local FSAE teams get a nice, uh, sizable donation, and you guys work the course. And I did see some of you guys working the course at that particular event. That was quite wet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we test up there at the uh, at Traders World when they have those local events. So I gotta Thank ask. You. I gotta ask: Is the autocross nut? What class is the car in? <laughs> it comes on the open wheel. Uh, special. I can't remember. Those. So, so it's something like, because um, I know that's SCCA, so it's something like uh, like a prepared class car, probably? Yeah, yeah I, I imagine it'd be something. Yeah, uh, it comes on, it has a whole class, it has an FSA class by itself. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so what we build the car for, the competition we build it for, um, is just all FSA teams from actually across the country. Uh, it's not just the U.S., so we're racing these big teams from Germany as well. But uh, oh, nice. Up in Traders World is mostly just for us to practice. We don't enter it for any competition there. That's that's right. just us in the car and nice. Some, I'm so, the wheel. so I guess I guess that kind of leads into the next question because you kind of mentioned it. How many other schools in the country have FSAE programs? Uh, it's a hard number because only 120 teams get to participate, but there are more than 120 teams. But in the U.S., there could be. Pretty much every university, any technical or public university probably has an FSA team. Uh, if you just take Ohio alone, you have uh, Cincinnati, OSU, Akron, uh, yeah, a bunch of them. So pretty much every major university has their own FSA team. Nice. And, FSA, and we just compete in FSA in North America, and that includes uh, the competition in Michigan, Canada and Nevada. Uh, so there's also competitions in Australia, uh, UK, uh, FSA Germany. So it all just depends on how much money you have to ship your car and to take part in these competitions. So it's it's an amazing experience. So kind of kind of related to that because I, I did a little homework myself and I know I know there's kind of like two parts to the FSA team there's like the the actual like everybody works on the car right so the engineers the drivers the team and then there's also a business side to that right mm -hmm. right yeah 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 so um, in that context that's where uh, you know an FSAE team um is a really good way being on an FSAE team is a really good way not only to learn um, the engineering side of the sport but uh, the business side as well. Um, you know, essentially, it allows people who are you know people such as myself who are looking to go into the marketing in the you know the business side of the sport to you know start doing you know if, if you're looking to go into you know acquiring sponsors you can start doing that you know in college on the team. Um, and it gives you, it, yeah, it sort of gives you that segue into into the sport. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, um, it, it there's you know there, there's sort of two sides to it, but uh, I mean they work you know obviously in conjunction with each other because we're all trying to go racing, right? Well, yeah. So 
Where do I want to go with this? Oh, so how many members are on? Obviously, it's going to vary from school to school, right? Because, I mean, uh, like, for example, the population of OSU is way bigger than the population of UC, I'd imagine. So I guess how many members are there on a team? There isn't really a fixed number that that uh, that line could change. It just depends on how many people are interested in it. So I've been in teams where we just had nine members only, and up to a maximum of forty people. So the more the merrier, I guess. And yeah. one thing to note on that is uh, the club is <clears throat> generally consisted of seniors because it counts towards their senior design credit within the College of Engineering. Um, we have a lot of underclassmen help as well, but they kind of float in and out as they go. We do have some solid underclassmen that stay year-round and actually do up to a senior level, if not more, senior level work for the club. It's, it's kind of open to everyone, and we're kind of trying to round it in a way for the future to where uh, People from other colleges, not just the engineering college, can kind of use it as a capstone credit or their final credit when they're graduating. And that, and that is a big separating factor um, with Bearcat Motorsports as compared to uh, to other FSAE teams. Um, you you got to note that most of these teams are only open to engineers taking it as a class. Now, now it's not to say that they aren't clubs. A lot of them are clubs. So. You can still join. You can still, if you're a business major, for example, you can still go in and, you know, help run the marketing side, do the accounting, um, you know, do job, I mean, do those jobs for the team. But you're not going to be given any official class credit. Whereas at the University of Cincinnati, we are one of uh, few schools to actually allow business majors to take this as a class and get class credit for it um, as a as a uh, senior capstone. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so so I guess that kind of leads in. So it's a club sport, basically. Sure. Cool. Yes, yeah, it would be defined as a club from the university standards versus like a sporting team like football or basketball or whatever. So anybody can join at any time, and we welcome anyone at any point in time. Well, as the saying goes, and Nathan, I'm I'm sure you know this from past experiences, just outside, even outside of the team, right? Um, there, there's something for everybody in the motorsports hobby or the motorsports business, mm -hmm. which is Definitely. which is which is awesome, I think. Um, so let's talk about let let's talk a little bit about how the team operates. Sure. How, how would you how would you compare operations to say like, like for example an IMSA team or a NASCAR team? Well, um, I would say the operations of at least our FSAE team are a lot more democratic than the operations of an IMSA or a NASCAR team. Um, for example, what we'll do is around once or twice a week we'll have uh, club meetings, and during those meetings we'll go over you know issue you mean any issues that we might be having with. Uh, with any department, you know, with any department in, uh, in respect to design or the business side of the car. Um, the most adequate way that I can describe it is it's sort of like having a State of the Union address every weekend, you know, I mean, every Thursday um, with a race team where each department goes up and explains their progress throughout the week 
and we sort of go through any hurdles that uh, that we have. Yeah, so these uh, departments he's mentioning, so we're split up between, <clears throat> we have a main team lead, and then we're split up between our sub-teams, so we have our engine team, our uh, suspension team, frame, business team, uh, and every little subsection of the car has their own team and respective team lead to uh, present those points. And to go on to how it might can you know compare to a NASCAR team or an IMSA team, um, you know on a lot of these IMSA teams and NASCAR teams, um, usually everything is facilitated by you know they'll have you know a set of uh, business people and I mean it it really depends. Um, I would say that like if you were I mean, it's sort of a tough comparison, but sure. um, if you were to compare it to an IMSA team, you know. You're not going to be having these uh, these addresses um, each week on those teams because usually, for one, it's a spec sport. So with IndyCar, you're not going to have you know, you're not going to need your aero team or your suspension team to make um, presentation you know presentations each week because they're not really designing anything. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, a lot of those guys are just tuning the car for you know either rebuilding or tuning the car for the for the race weekend. So you know, there, there's not going to be that. Uh, you know, kind of thing and obviously you know it's it's run by you know one guy you know there's you know the team owner so usually it's not going to be like a really democratic process right you know if there's something that uh that they don't like about the uh about the performance of the car if they're you know it's, it's usually yeah, yeah it's not um it doesn't and it really doesn't need to be as democratic in uh you know in nascar or imsa because you know you're, you're not designing the car right right um you're more or less just, you know, your, your concerns are surrounded by, you know, are your drivers getting, you know, solid sim time so that they can, you know, deal with anything that they're going to be running into um, on the circuit that weekend? Um, you know, do you, you know, if you're an IndyCar, are, you know, are you getting the right uh, information from Chevy or, you know, well, now it's going to be Lara on, you know, your aero, on your aero kit, you know, you have, uh, you know, those sort of minute things uh, put together. So would that be a good? Was that an adequate way to answer that uh, that question? Oh yes, yes. I, I I would say yes. That that question was answered, and it was answered in in some very good detail. <laughs> but well, that's pretty awesome. So that kind of leads us into the next one, and this was kind of the one that I'm excited for the most is a gearhead. Um, let's talk about the car a little bit. So. Do you guys make a car every year? Yeah, so the car is a one-year design cycle. Once it's entered into competition once, it cannot be used again. So we, we typically create a new car every year. Now, given COVID, the last couple of years, we haven't done that. Um, so the car we're on now has kind of been in the works for uh, two to three years. So how much – we'll skip that one. How much of the how how much of the regulations are spec versus how much how much design liberty do you guys have? So we have to design a car based on a set of rules given by FSA, but you it's an engineering competition, right? So it's how do you take those rules and how do you build a car that basically achieves all those rules and still performs the best. So we are given liberties on however much we want to design, but it has to stick to certain parameters designated by FSA ruling body, just like in Formula One. 
Yeah. So there's ways for us to engineer, um, not necessarily around the rules, but in a way that we can still perform with those rules in place. So that's that's the engineering part of it. And it, and it tends to be a lot more radical even than, than Formula One in terms of the, uh, the looseness of the regulations, right? Because this is effectively an, an engineering competition because they, they want you – so they, they're encouraging you to be as creative as possible. So, again, this is you know, coming from someone who is a business major, so you know, take anything that I say with a grain of salt. Um, you know, you, you get to see – when at least I've seen these competitions on YouTube and I've looked into the cars – um, you'll see some really, really radical designs in that uh, that sort of showcases the um, lengths in which the um, sanctioning body will allow you to go in terms of uh, getting creative with the car. And uh, we, we have our, our uh, team lead, Sam. Uh, I think he wants to say something. He's the overall team lead this year. Um, so I think he wants to jump in a little, for a second. Yeah, um, I was going to say, you know, like touching on what Rishi said about it being a design competition about, you know, how um, Dave was saying um, that it's, you know, they encourage you to be, uh, you know, in, like think new ideas and you create new things. Um, in 2019, our car actually won an innovation award because we worked with um, GE, um, I believe their aerospace division or their additive manufacturing, um, and we 3D printed our um uprights out of uh, titanium and then um, since it's a space frame you know car we need to either uh, fish mouth cut our tubes but what we did um, for that year is we actually 3d printed out of stainless steel our um, nodes so that kind of cut down the process of um, you know putting the car together it cut down our assembly um, and welding time and it actually made a better car because you know it's more set and there's less ambiguity putting it together so you know that was something that the judges really liked we won an award for that um, you know and Again, it, it's you know, like we always saying at the end of the day, it's a design competition. The car is just the medium. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, design, analyze, um, then you verify through your physical tests, and that's physically building the car. And so, you know, there's, um, I don't know how much we've talked about the competition, but there is, you know, a specific set of dynamic events that are, um, you know, you're driving your skid pad, your, you know, endurance and everything. And then you have, um, you know, about a third of your points at the end of the year are design competitions of proving, you know, this is why, you know, we did this. We tried A, we tried B. Uh, here's why we think B would be better given our simulation data, and here's how we verified that B is better. Um, you know, so that's just kind of a little bit more insight on what the competition is and how that ties into, like, you know, we, we build a new car every year because we are designing, and that's what the competition is. The competition isn't get a fast car, even though that, that is the, the quote-unquote goal. It's design a fast car. So it's don't improve the last one, but improve the design of the last one. So, <clears throat> wow, that that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> um, that that's a lot of useful information. Give me one sec to digest that. While I'm digesting that, because it's a design competition, right? And I know, I know, there's uh, you know, OEMs that look at what you guys do at competitions and stuff like that. Do you think, given the way that the car market's going and how everybody's pushing hybridization, do you think that'll eventually trickle down into Formula SAE? In many ways, it already has. Um, there, there, there is actually a uh, hybrid competition that you can do um, in the SAE. Uh, we also have uh, an EV team um, current, uh, operating as well. They're building a car, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely has. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it already has. And uh, 
we are already conducting operations um, to that front. Wow. Ahead of the curve. <laughs> and just to add to that, like the whole FSA competition is the world's largest engineering competition. So that right there just shows you how big of like a, an outreach this program is. Well, and that kind of that kind of leads great into our our next topic, which is how does an event work? Ah, uh, so what what's kind of the I, yeah? I guess, so go um, for so it. yeah, we we show up. Um, and it's usually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so a three day event. Um, and we have what we call dynamic and static events. Um, just in you know, dynamic is worth uh six hundred seventy five points. Static is worth uh three hundred twenty five points, and so we have a total of a thousand points. So you know, kind of a third, um, and then two thirds. Um, so our static is we have to pass a technical inspection, um, and then we go through and we present a cost analysis. Um, like I said, our you know, for our design, um, you know why we chose A over B and verified that. Um, and so we actually do that for kind of each separate thing. Um, and then our dynamic is we have a uh, skid pad, which is not really the typical skid pad. It's uh, almost a perfectly circular figure eight that you go for time. And so it actually is very driver dependent. It's not just you go till you lose traction. You actually have to be able to drive the car right on your grip limit the entire time you're driving, which is, you know, I think also a testament to some of the drivers that go through that is, you know, you have to, you can't just design a car that sticks to the ground. It has to be drivable and you have to, you know, know the car. Um, and so then also we do an acceleration, um, very similar to a drag race. Um, then we do an autocross and then an endurance with the endurance just being a longer format autocross that has a couple longer straights. Uh, you do 15, it's usually over a minute long, and then you do 15 laps with your driver A and then do 15 laps with your driver B. Um, and after that, they also do fuel consumption. So that is an inefficiency and endurance to make sure the car can complete it um, in that amount of time. So how how does it wait? So for example, how does doing better on the skid pad compared to do to say doing not as good in, in either the autocross or the endurance event or how does the i guess how how also would the technical uh inspection and tests um factor into the overall score well you want, you want me to give you the raw numbers go for it so our um, static events is we have a design that's 150 points a cost in manufacturing analysis which is 100 and our presentation for it all which is 75 so that all gets judged um and that's you know roughly a third of our points 325 points um and then we go to our dynamic events and that's acceleration is 100 skid pad is 75 um our autocross is 125 which is technically our largest point value but then you look and oh sorry that's it's our second highest um then you have your fuel economy which is 100, that's also tied in with our endurance, which is 275. So obviously our endurance and our autocross are like our two main things that accounts for um, actually 500 of our points right there. So that is half the competition is driving through endurance, getting you know good fuel economy, um, and then performing well in the autocross. Um, not to say everything else isn't important, you know, like you can completely fail tech inspection and then your only points are in um, your static, your design and your cost analysis and everything. but um, definitely, you know, like most places, the actual true dynamic events of driving and, you know, fast driving endurance is kind of our you know, metric of how well the car does. 
That's pretty cool. How do you guys select who drives the car? Whoever gets the fastest time. <laughs> Only fair way to do it. That, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> you know, we, we, everyone wants to drive the car. I mean, there is, there is some participation aspect in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you can't just come in and say, I want to drive the car and only drive, you know, the car as a, as a freshman. You know, like, we will give priority to someone who's been on the team for a little bit longer and who has actually contributed. Um, sure. But, you know, generally, you have to be, you know, contribute to some part of the car. Um, and that just helps. I think it helps you drive better anyway to, you know, understand the car. How does it work? You know, what will the car do in this situation versus the other? And you can get all that with driving, but we have a limited time frame. You know, you have about two months after you get the car running um, and built to actually drive it. So um, we, we do, we wait it a little bit, but it's generally who can perform the fastest, you know. Someone who does acceleration is generally going to be a small, lighter person because they can do that. And Autocross and endurance are usually people who have a lot more experience. And, you know, we have um, someone on the team this year that's been karting since they were eight. He's been on the team, you know, three years now, I think. And he's um, one of our underclassmen liaisons because he's, you know, very invested in the club. But, you know, he's been doing track days for years. And, you know, he's very good at instructing people, but he's generally a, you know, hot shoe inside the the car because he understands the cars he works on them he tears them apart puts them all back together and he he has the times to prove that so so how many events do you guys do per year so it's usually around so it's usually one um we'll do one to two so we'll go to so we'll go up to michigan and uh we'll run there um i believe there's also there's also that in california that um we may be trying to go to. Is that uh, confirmed or is that Someone's high? In Nevada. Yeah, so there are three competitions. Also, you could say a fourth competition. So if you take the SAE body, there is uh, Michigan, which is basically the biggest FSAE competition. Uh, then you have Canada and uh, Nevada, but there's a lot of COVID-related issues and a lot, a lot of things have changed this year, as you know. In addition to that, there is uh, a competition in Pittsburgh called the Pittsburgh Shootout. It's just an autocross event only, and it's an unofficial FSA event. So uh, a bunch of teams uh, get together and they, they, they meet up at Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh. And it's just a shootout, so the fastest car gets an award in there. So it's like a fun event, but sort of official over a span of two days. Let's you test stuff like see if your car lights on fire, which happened to us this year. <laughs> Did it really? Yeah. The um, so we originally run a carbureted engine, um, and we actually switched the fuel injected, and so um, we had some issues with the way the intake manifold was passed. You know, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the broomstick test. Um, sure. You know, so we performed something similar to that, but on the rear, and our intake was protruding past that. Cool. So we shaved down the intake nub that fit into the uh, rubber carburetor grommet. Um, and we shaved down a little bit too far. Um, and so we actually were hitting the fuel injector nub, so we were not a perfect circle. Uh, that backed out and sprayed E85 directly onto the hot engine. Ooh. That was... Ooh. But, you know, one of the things you have to do is you have to be able to, to drive. You have to be able to get out of, you know, be in the car, have it on and turn it off, um, right. unstrap yourself, and get both feet on the ground within five seconds of, um, you know, turning off the car. So, oh, wow. you know, that's... One of the safety regulations. I mean, we you know we wear full fire suits, wear everything, but you know that's kind of part of the fun of competition, right? Right. So, what what is your engine based on? I guess. So uh, I'm actually uh, I'm actually the oh gosh <clears throat> I'm actually the engine team lead. 
Um, so I know a fair amount about it. We use a YFZ 450 engine, which is the Yamaha ATV. Um, and ours currently is bored out um, to about the biggest we can get it. Um, we're running some just off-the-shelf cams in it. Uh, and from there, we do some modifications to the transmission. Um, for our type of shifting we do, we're doing uh, a sequential pattern instead of, uh, well, motorcycles are always sequential, but we're moving uh, the neutral from in the middle of the shift pattern down to the bottom, like a motorcycle would standardly have. Um, this year, we're looking to get in the head port and polished and doing some more work with the engine to make a little more power. But uh, we actually have, on not on campus, but one of university-owned buildings, we have a dyno facility. So we're lucky enough that we can do a lot of testing on our engines. That's pretty freaking cool. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, it is. That, that's also pretty cool that you can take – so you use the the ATV engine and the trans? Yeah, so um, I don't know how familiar you are with small engines like motorcycles or ATVs. A lot of times they're permanently connected. You can't take them apart. Right. I mean, you can, but you can't run them separately. Right. So, yeah, we do use the normal transmission from it. And then you just put it in like a, like a rear-end kind of differential? Yeah, we do have a differential. We run a chain to a differential and uh, – yeah, never did the two wheels. Nice. So I noticed I was on your website, and there's looks like two different cars. There's one without giant wings, and then there's one with giant wings. Yeah, so we that's that's uh, us building a new car every year, and each year the team gets to decide what they want to do. So uh, the one without the wings is probably our 2017 car, if I had to guess, and uh, that team decided they didn't want aero on the car. They'd rather focus on other designs. And then um, – our most recent cars that we have in the shop right now are our 19 and our current one, the 22. They both have big aero packages because the teams have decided uh, they like the benefit of the aero. So, so basically, at the beginning of the year, you guys kind of decide what elements you want ver to focus on versus what you don't. Right. Nice. And we can change that as time goes on, but... Right knowledge we have on aero some people like it some people don't so well as any big car person including myself will tell you aero is a complicated beast yeah all right and, and i'm sure i'm sure as engineering students it's even more complicated because you guys go in into even more depth <laughs> yeah the aero on our cars is fully calculated and simulated uh there, there's a lot that goes into it how do you guys do some simulations? Do you kind of do you do like wind tunnel stuff? Um, I believe that's been done in the past. We have had. I'm not. We don't have any aero guys in here, sadly, so we can't speak too far on it. But Rushi, do yeah, you know? So more? usually, what we do is we use uh, we run the, the simulations on Star CCM, and uh, we've also in the past attached uh, little threads on the, the body of the car and watched it as it using GoPro cameras. It, the thing is, like, it's... Yeah, it's the old school. Yeah, it's it's financially quite a big deal to get a wind tunnel because wind tunnel, wind tunnel like, printing times are way beyond our budget. It's sure. really good, but you could always just uh, do the old school method of, like, attaching strings on it and see the airflow. But uh, it's also fun driving the kind of rain where you, can, you could really see the vortices, like, being generated. Oh, I, I guess that's true. Yeah, all the all the rooster tails and stuff w would give you that visual data that you're looking for. 
Yeah, and and to add to that, we also have uh, added uh, abilities and like uh, uh, sensors on the suspension, see how much downforce is produced by these uh, uh, aerodynamic devices on and off. Also, we've tested the effect of the aerodynamic devices on skid pad testing and and not across track to see how much of a gain downforce on performance and track times. So we we figured different methods of like validating why we need to have uh, aero and why not. So it's a uh, it's a uh, it's that's where the engineering comes into play. How much? So like you guys have telemetry obviously throughout the car. How much of that is off the shelf versus you gotta get something from off the shelf and adapt it to what you need it to do? Almost everything I feel like is adapted from off the shelf. Yeah. Um, I mean, for example, one of the things I'm working on right now is an intake manifold and we'll buy a throttle body um, off a shelf, but from there the runners and the plenum and everything like that is fully calculated and designed in house. Oh so. wow. So basically the only thing off the shelf that you're using is the actual body of the part. Yeah. For for that particular part, yeah. Wow. That mind blowing it's mind blowing to me that that is happening in college. I mean, I guess it, sh it shouldn't so another example is uh, speaking on engine side too. Teams will some teams will buy mufflers that are made for like these ATVs and they'll use those to uh, muffle their sound. We actually have a sound requirement on how loud they can be. So uh, um, some teams will do that. Uh, other teams like what we do is we fully design our own muffler you know, and make our own muffler for the car that meets the sound requirement as well as makes the power we want. Wow. That. That's very awesome. <laughs> yeah, those are things that I've I've always thought have been pretty cool about it. Because like I I knew cause the the company my dad works for makes testing solutions and actually sponsors the University of Minnesota's FSAET. So I kind of knew stuff like that existed because I mean my my dad works for uh, MTS Systems and they make sensors and all sorts of stuff. But I didn't know, like, how, man, I never thought I'd I'd be struggling for words on my podcast. <laughs> I, I never knew how that sort of engineering went into car design and then, and how all that linked together, I guess, would be the good way to put it. So that's really good in-depth look at it i mean we're just we're a small little little bit of the car engineering world i mean if you think about how a, a full you know full-size car is uh, right it's pretty crazy to yeah see that is yeah when we were at pri one thing i in particular noticed was a lot of the lead engineers at these big companies that i was talking to mm -hmm. had previously done fsa in their college years what so? Let's talk about that. Actually, is this the first year you guys have gone to PRI and had a booth? Yes. What was, what was your takeaway from this year at PRI? Well, I mean, I guess that would be a good question. I, mean, I guess that might be a question that I mean everybody could individually answer if we could. Yeah. So, so for uh, I'll start. I guess we'll go left to right here. I'll start. So. 
For me, PRI, I mean, I absolutely love going to it as a gearhead. As far as a smart move for the club, it cost us a lot of money to go. Um, and I think we were hoping for sponsorships from that, and I don't think we got as many as we wanted. But uh, we did get a lot of good exposure. A lot of the seniors got to talk to companies in the automotive world that they might want to work for. So that was all awesome. The connections we got to see, the knowledge we got from some guys. I mean, we had these uh, old FSAE, you know, uh, people who are now at these big companies. They were telling us some stuff that their teams did and some uh, some some little tidbits of information that they remembered that actually could be helpful for us. So from all of that, it's good. But our intentions of going for sponsorship and getting our name out there probably weren't exactly what we expected. But the overall benefit was still still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty, uh, I mean, it was a pretty solid answer. Um, yeah, I think that it went pretty well. Um, you know, we, we decided to get a booth um, going going our first year, um, just because you know we, we, we wanted to get our name out there and we wanted to get the formula, uh, I mean, the FSAE out there. I mean, even though we knew that a lot of those people were in or had been in the FSAE, we just kind of, you know, we, we looked at the floor plan and saw that there were no other um, FSAE teams that were going to be uh, attending. Um, eventually, Purdue did, but. Uh, they got their booth like really, really last minute, so they weren't on the on the plan. But um, yeah, I think it was a great opportunity to go out and meet potential uh, employers. Um, and we, you know, we have some you know sponsorships that we're working on with it, but uh, you know, nothing's really come to fruition yet. So yeah, um, I, I I really agree with uh, with Mike. So it, it went well. We met a lot of great uh, perspe- uh, perspective. Uh, employers but uh, you know maybe next year we could just end up attending uh, as attendees versus a booth or get a smaller booth but uh, it's really going to depend you know um, with this business you never really know until you know a couple of months what you know once some of the deals have either gone through or fallen through that's when you sort of know where you're at so yeah but overall I you know think it was a good experience. I would say my takeaway on PRI was probably you got out of it what you put into it. So if you went into PRI with the mindset that you were going to go talk to booths and you were going to go learn something while you had free time from our booth to go do those things, I think that's where you're going to see the most benefit from going. It did cost us a lot of money to go out there. Um, But like everything else in racing, a gamble is a gamble, and you got to back it. And to sort of add to, add to Luke's point before uh, Rashinda jumps in, um, I think that, you know, if, if there would have been a year to do it, this was definitely the year. Um, the car is, for the most part, finished. It is running um, months earlier than usual, um, which means our design budget is a lot less than it would, you know, than it would be any other year. Um, even though the market has taken a hit, it's still at all-time highs, so these companies are doing really well which means that they're hiring and they're looking for, and, you know, they might be potentially looking to sponsor teams. Or at the very least, they might be more open to parts, you know, uh, to partnerships on parts. So, you know, it definitely seemed like um, if there was going to be a year to go, it was going to be this year. And, um, you know, I think in the coming months when, you know, as, uh, the world con- as the world continues to open back up from this, uh, you know, from the Omicron variant, um, we-, we might see some of these deals uh, go through. So, but you know, that's me. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the business major of the group. So it's my job to say that. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah. um, 
So, but yeah, uh, so yeah, Rashinda says that he sort of agrees with uh, with the sentiment. So, yeah, I, I always I started going to PRI because um, not only do we race my ST, but we also have a uh, C5 Z06 Corvette. Oh, that's a nice car. Yeah, it's it's also <laughs> Millennium Yellow, which is really of, yes. Okay. So I'm gonna try to go for it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but uh, my dad had a convert had a millennium yellow convertible C5 when I was uh, when I was little. I've still got the picture of me being picked up and from school in the first grade in that car. And you know, we actually went to Bowling Green to watch it go down the assembly line. So oh, uh, that's cool. Really cool that you guys are running a C5. That car holds a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of really good, a lot of really good memories for me. So. But a lot of what we do, like this year, um, we're focused on uh, some top end, top end, blah, blah, top end work. So we went and uh, we talked to uh, you know Chevy Performance, uh, Scoggin Dickey, uh, Parts Center, uh, Texas Speed, and CHE, and we actually ended up uh, picking up the CHE uh, Trunnion kit, the Trunnion bearing kit. So we're going to do a cam, we're going to do trunnion bearings, just some, some top-end kind of longevity stuff. Uh, but also we're going to make a little bit more power. Nothing too crazy, um, but enough to where it takes the car out of a street and puts it into cam. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the SCCA rules uh, for autocross, but basically uh, we're taking it out of the stock class and putting it into a... Run what you brung class. Um, so that's uh, what's going on. So we're doing lifters and all that stuff too. Um, but we go typically every year. I'll focus on an area for my car. And I'll focus on an area for the vet. Or we'll do like last year we did a lot of we uh, did a lot of research on my car. Which I don't know why. But I can never find stuff for the ST. And the ST is a very widely raced car. I still don't understand why. Um, but we can definitely find information on the C5. That's not hard. Uh, just got to know who to talk to. So that's typically why we go. Um, and if I happen to talk to uh, someone uh, that wants uh, to sit down and do one of these shows, that's great. That's That's typically why I go to PRI. Uh, and I also go as a motorsports fan because a lot of uh, the, like NASCAR usually has a booth, uh, et cetera. So it's always nice to go look at awesome race cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. But, well, that, that was a, whew, that was a mind-blowing interview, I'd say. I don't have very many of those anymore. <laughs> but guys this was awesome um definitely i hope we can do some more stuff in the future i know nathan you were uh talking to me briefly about some other things maybe we can do and i hope to be able to do those and uh is there anything you guys want to say before we uh, hop on out of here appreciate the time man hey anytime and anytime you guys want to come back Y'all just let me know. Well, dude, thank you so much, Nick. And uh, I mean, we 
you know, we like uh, Luke was saying, we appreciate the time. We appreciate uh, you know having the chance to open up our our sport to uh, to a new audience. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And uh, like I said, uh, top of the show, everybody, make sure you guys keep an eye out for my Daytona 24 coverage this week. And I will see you next time. Have a good one. All right, you too. Thanks, you too.